Let's begin by turning to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. I'd like to start by recounting event, an event from the life of Abraham and Sarah. And this event is when God announced to them, one of the times that God announced to them that Sarah would give birth to a son, that is Isaac. Isaac was the son of the promise. In Genesis chapter 18, it tells about how the Lord appeared to Abraham and God appears and speaks to him and comes in the form of these three messengers. And in the course of this meeting of Abraham with the Lord, it says this in beginning in verse 9. Genesis 18, beginning in verse 9. And they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? And he said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, Shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee, according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. I want to speak to you this morning about laughter. The name of this child that would be born, this promised child, was Isaac. And Isaac is a name that means laughter. Here we see that when this word was announced to Abraham and Sarah, Sarah overheard what was spoken to Abraham, and she laughed. She laughed because what was announced was so unbelievable that she just couldn't imagine this taking place. She laughed within herself, thinking about how she was now uh, well, very old, almost 100 years old. And to begin with, she was, she was barren to start with. She'd never been able to have a child. And now God comes and announces that at this great old age, they're going to give birth to a son. It says Sarah laughed within herself. I want to speak about laughter, but in particular about when God makes his people to laugh. Laughter is a good gift of God. Laughter is something that God has created as, as part of what it means to be a human being, a man or a woman. Laughter is a natural part of us. It's a good gift that God has given. And like many good gifts that God gives, it can be taken and it can be abused and it can be used in a way that is not good also, a way that is evil. In Ecclesiastes, it says that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, speaking about both times of seasons and events in our lives. There are times that we are right to weep and to sorrow, and there are times when it is right to laugh and rejoice. Jesus, speaking to those in his day, he spoke to some and said, Blessed are you that weep now, for ye shall laugh. And speaking to others, he said, Woe unto you that laugh now, 
for ye shall mourn and weep. Those that had their pleasure, their laughter, their joy, their rejoicing in the things of this world, in their own self-righteousness, in the own pleasures of sin in this life, he said to them, you laugh now, you have your laughter now, and you shall weep and mourn. But to those that were poor in spirit, those that were suffering, those that were afflicted, those that were mourning for their sin, mourning for their condition and their helplessness, he said, blessed are you, for you shall laugh. Likewise, he said, blessed are you that hunger now, for you shall be filled. Laughter is part of rejoicing. I asked for Psalm 126 to be read because this, as much as anything in the scripture, I think shows the part of rejoicing that laughter fills. This psalm rejoices in how the Lord had delivered his people. Using this phrase, the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion. God comes and God rescues his people. God brings his salvation with power and delivers his people. And he brings great joy and rejoicing. It says, when the Lord turned again the captivity of Zion, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter and our tongue with singing. Then said they among the heathen, the Lord hath done great things for them. They are rejoicing, they're delighting, because they have seen the awesome things that God has done. God does astounding, amazing things for his people. So the Lord hath done great things for us, whereof we are glad. We ought to be glad. We ought to be filled with rejoicing at what God has done for us. Just as they were when they were singing this psalm. It says, turn again our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. One of the things that we learn in our life as Christians, as followers of Jesus, is that being a child of God does not mean that God has promised us that in this life we will have no sorrow or trouble or pain or suffering. But in fact, often, even with following Christ, there comes suffering. We look to Jesus and we see what he's done for his people and we see how he was the one that endured the greatest suffering of all. And he tells us that if we're going to be his disciples, that we're going to walk in some way, to some degree, in the path that he walked. We're going to experience suffering like he suffered. We're going to experience persecution like he experienced persecution. Sorrow, tears, weeping at times are part of this existence, this life. Even being faithful, following Christ, obedient to him, does not mean that we will have a life without sorrow, without trouble. But even in that sowing, as it says, sowing in tears, we don't do so with despair and hopelessness, but there is hope, it says, that we will reap in joy. See, all of our sorrows, we can endure them, we can get through them, not without tears, not without weeping, not without trouble, but we can get through them without giving up hope, without being destroyed, without despairing, because we have a hope to a better end. We have that hope that though we weep now, we will laugh later. It says, He that goeth forth in weeping, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Sometimes the, the labor in this life, sometimes the sowing, the planting, 
Sometimes that's uh, done in sorrow. Sometimes it's a sorrowful process. But God works in mysterious ways. It's truly said that he works in mysterious ways. It doesn't always happen. Things don't always take place the way that we might expect or we might plan. But we can, with faith in the work and the purpose of God, have hope in the midst of that. Coming back to laughter, I said at the beginning that there, there are, there's good laughter and there's bad laughter. Laughter can be righteous. Laughter can be evil as well. We can look at a few ways in which laughter can be ungodly. In uh, Proverbs 24, it, it says this, in Proverbs 24, verse 17, says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. Let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Lest the Lord see it and it displease him and he turn away his wrath from him. doesn't specifically mention laughter in this verse, but it talks about how God exhorts us not to laugh at the calamity of our enemy. This is something that we could very easily be inclined to do. It says, well, rejoice not when thy enemy falls. Don't laugh at the misfortune of others, not even your enemy, not even the one that you might be inclined to desire to see them come into trouble and to fall. But Proverbs says, rejoice not when thy enemy falleth. The, and let not thy heart be glad. Very interesting wording. You know, it, see, this is something that may not have any outward expression at all, and yet when you see the trouble of your enemy and maybe just a little bit, you feel a little bit happy inside to see your enemy come into trouble. But God's word says, don't let your heart be glad. The reasoning is interesting. It says, lest the Lord see it and it displease him. God does not want you to rejoice in the calamity of your enemy. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. God is a just God and God does avenge wickedness, but he has not left it to us to do that. He's not left, left it to us to be the instruments of his vengeance. And not even should we in our hearts rejoice when we see our enemies come into trouble. Laughing scornfully can also be a very sinful thing. It tells us in Matthew chapter 9 about a time when Jesus did a great miracle. A man comes to Jesus and says, My daughter is even now dead, but lay thy hand upon her and she shall live. This is in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. This ruler, it says, a certain ruler came and he worships Jesus and he says, My daughter's dead. But he had an amazing faith. He had a type of faith that trusted that God is a God that's able to raise the dead to life. Because he says, even now, Jesus, you can come, and if you lay your hand on her, she'll live. And so Jesus comes, and he comes to the house, and he enters in, and he sees the people mourning and uh, bewailing the, the death of this girl. And it says, he said to them, verse 24, give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And it says, and they laughed him to scorn. We're told not to sit in the seat of the scornful. Rather than being in awe, 
rather than being humble at the miracle that Jesus was about to do at his word, they laughed him to scorn. We have to be very careful with the thoughts of our hearts and how those are expressed. Laughter can also be uh, foolish in a way that is not pleasing to God. In Ecclesiastes, it says, For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, as the crackling of thorns under a pot, I kind of think of that as kind of like when we say nails, fingernails on a chalkboard, the sound that just jars you in a very uncomfortable way, something very unpleasant. So is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. In Ephesians 5, Paul is in the midst of teaching this church about what it means to live in the new life that God has given to his people. What it means to live as part of uh, being in Christ, being part of his body, his community, his house. And he has much impractical, practical instruction for them. One of the things he says in Ephesians 5, 4 is he says, let's go back to verse 3, he says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Exhorts them here against filthiness, foolish talking, nor jesting. Everything I've looked up this word jesting in indicates that it, it implies the kind of crude humor that we've probably all been exposed to at one time or another. Maybe even we've taken part in it. It says, this is not the kind of talk that, sh- that could come out of your mouth. Well, I don't think this is condemning telling a joke or saying something funny. But we ought to consider also that the Bible teaches us to be sober. And this, this instruction ought to keep, keep us in mind. Being sober, not being under the influence, not being swayed away from soundness of mind. That doesn't just have to do with being drunk and alcohol, but we can use all kinds of things to distract ourselves from soundness of mind, from seriousness of mind. But here he says, neither filthiness nor foolish talking which, nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. The great thing about Paul's instruction, not just here but throughout these chapters, this practical instruction, is it's not just about what not to do because that is not enough for us. He also needs to teach us what to replace that with. We all have come out of sinful behavior. By the grace of God, God has brought us uh, to repentance in many ways and we've left behind certain sins and we ought to leave behind sin. But that those behaviors, they also need to be replaced with something. If our sin is in our speech, how we talk, it's not enough to just be silent. You can't go through your life. Most people can't go through their life never saying anything. And that's not what we're called to do either. Sometimes we have to shut our mouths, be quiet, listen to God. But we're not called to just be silent. That ungodly speech is replaced with something else. And Paul expresses it by giving of thanks. How wonderful it would be if our mouths 
Our speech was always filled with thanksgiving, gratitude. It's powerful. It's powerful to have your speech be speech that is filled with thanksgiving and gratitude, gratefulness toward God, like the spirit that we see in that Psalm 126. Laughter is complex. Now, laughter is not, is not just the response of one kind of emotion. If you think about it for a little bit, you think that laughter comes out a lot of different times. It's very complex. Sometimes people laugh when they're nervous. Sometimes people laugh when they're surprised. People laugh when something, certainly when something's funny, they laugh. Sometimes when, when you have emotion inside that you don't know what else to do with, sometimes that comes out as laughter. Sometimes it comes, it's kind of, in a way, it's kind of like weeping. Sometimes you weep when you're just overjoyed or when you're filled with sorrow and you just don't know how to express it and it overflows and it comes out. But I think one of the, one of the greatest things that spurs laughter is surprise. surprise. When something's so surprising, why is a joke funny? If you think about why do you laugh with a joke? Well, you laugh because usually because there's a punchline. The punchline is funny because it's surprising, because it's unexpected, because usually you take something and it seems to be going in one direction and then all of a sudden it, it's something else that's just off the wall or unexpected. Well, I think this can teach us something about thinking about this, about how God makes his people to laugh. God fills his people's mouths with laughter. How does he do it? I want to talk about three ways, three ways, three aspects of how God makes his people to laugh. First of all, God gives his people, God gives us a new name. That might not seem like it's very funny at first, but... When you start to think about the name that God gives his people, this might make a little more sense. Remember Abraham. God, uh, a- Abraham was called, and when he was first called, he was named Abram. And Abram means exalted father, which probably gave a little bit of a chuckle to some of Abraham's friends, because Abram reached quite an old age, and he had no children. But his name meant exalted father. Then at some point, Abraham has Ishmael. And not long after that, God comes to Abram and he says, Abram, I am going to change your name. You're no longer going to be called Abram, but now you're going to be called Abraham. Abraham. And that means father of a great multitude. Here's Abraham. He's 100 years old. He has one son and he is given this name by God, Father of a Great Multitude. God gives his people a different name. God named Jesus, says to Simon, he says, Simon, you're going to be called Peter. Calls him the stone. Um, Peter, the same Peter who one minute is saying, Jesus, I'm going to go with you to death. I'll, I'll go to prison. I'll be right by your side. And the next minute, he's denying that he even knows him. But he is a stone. He is called Peter, a rock. In Romans chapter 4, Paul, Paul calls the, the recipients of this letter back to recall what God had done in the life of Abraham and Sarah. In Romans 4:17, speaking about Abraham, it says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, 
who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. God calls his people by a new name. And God calls those things that are not as though they are. But this is not just God uh, giving funny names to things. It might have been a little humorous for some of Abraham's friends to say, Abraham, here's Abraham, father of a great multitude with one son. But when God gives something a name, he gives that name with power. See, it says they believed in God. Against hope, they believed in hope. They, they believed because they believed that God was a God that was able to raise the dead. Sarah's womb was dead. It was physically, humanly impossible for her to, her to give birth to a son. And God comes and he says to Abraham and to Sarah, I'm going to do this. And Sarah, she can hardly believe it. But God gives a new name in, in Romans chapter 9. It speaks about God's people. It speaks about the Gentiles. God bringing in the Gentiles. It says in Romans 9.24, even us, speaking about God's mercy and salvation, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as he saith also in Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved, and it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God. When God calls something by a name, that name has power. God's word comes with power and makes what he has spoken the reality, even if it didn't seem to be before. So Peter, who of himself was not a solid rock, is used by Jesus as one of the living stones upon which he would build his church. And he would come to fulfill an Abraham, who is not the father of a great multitude. God would make by his word and the power of his word into the father of many nations. And with us, too. See, God has taken us, who rightly, by nature, are called sinner, guilty, and he's called us children. He's called us forgiven. He's called us righteous. And when God has taken us who are called not my people and called us my people, his people, that word comes with power and it makes reality of what is spoken. Second thing, second way that God makes us to laugh is that he does the impossible and the unexpected. That is, he does the surprising thing. Laughter, often spurred by surprise. God likes to surprise his people. God likes to work. We talk about God working in mysterious ways. Why, why are they so mysterious? Because they're not what we would expect. They're not how we would expect God to work. So God when he chooses to call a, a people, to draw out a people of his name, to make a nation out of them, who does he choose to do it with? He chooses a barren woman through which to bring this child. As we read in, in Genesis 18, Sarah, Sarah laughs because she looks at the situation and judging with, with her uh, human judgment, she sees just how 
amazing, how strange, how unbelievable it seems that God would cause her to give birth to a son. God does the unexpected thing. God does the impossible thing. Remember what he said? With God, nothing shall be impossible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Certainly, nothing's too hard for God. Third, thirdly, God makes us to laugh because he does turn our weeping into rejoicing. He turns our weeping into rejoicing. As Jesus had said, Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall rejoice. You shall laugh later. Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. God is able to take us through great sorrow and great trouble. And even in the midst of going through all that suffering that we go through, we have greater joy, greater rejoicing at what God has done because he has brought us through those things. Close with a passage in Genesis 21 where we see how God did this in the life of Abraham and Sarah. God had spoken his word. He'd made his promise. When God promises something to his people, God desires us and expects us to trust him in his promise. And he teaches us to trust his promise. He teaches us to put our hope and our confidence, not by what we judge and what we see, but in the word that he has spoken. And he spoke this word and he said, I will do this thing. And when God says that he's going to do something, God, God lives up to his promise. Verse 1 of Genesis 21, And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh, so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah should have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. At the beginning she laughed. She laughed because it was so unbelievable. And now she laughs because the unimaginable thing God had done. We can trust in the promise of God as the Lord, and the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. When the promise of God comes, it is sure and steadfast, and we can put our confidence and trust in it. Thank you for your attention.